to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. I'm excited. Let's go. Also with us, Jed Brewer. I'm excited. That's as excited as Jed can be nowadays. <laughs> that was like an anti-drug commercial from the 90s. <laughs> I'm excited. Also with us, all the commercial Tennessee, Lee Younger. I was waiting for to, to see how long Matt was going to let it go for Jed to... Add the let's go. Like the full the full Glenn quote. I'm excited. Beat, 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 let's go. If you hear a very uh, lethargic let's go in the middle of Lee's answer on question two, you'll know <laughs> yeah. that Jed really committed to the pause there. Well, let's go. <laughs> there it is. A, uh, a very, that's why Jed never wrote a successful jock jam. <laughs> that was the kind of energy he brought. <laughs> Everybody dance. I don't care. I guess whatever. Everybody dance now, later, whatever. It Ish. doesn't matter. CNC <laughs> antidepressant factory. <laughs> Sorry, wow. Locals of Jed Brewer. Yes, we have. Our normal shenanigans today, we have uh, some of your amazing questions. But first, we have what might be a cascading series of emergencies. And it starts with a headline that really we've been wrestling with for a while. Nothing sacred. These apps reserve the right to sell your prayers. From BuzzFeed News. Subhead, prominent venture capitalists are flocking to invest in Christian worship apps. The apps say users' prayers are a business asset. And that is a Lex Luthor series (laughs) of words. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Like, we're full on, like, this, we we talked, like, several months ago about, there was, like, apparently, like, a straight-to-VHS series called Bible Man. Uh, it's like a Christian superhero thing. And this is this would be the plot of a bad guy in Bible Man, I imagine. Oh, He's yeah. trying to steal the children's prayers and sell them to someone. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg, I guess. And I would think that whoever that bad guy is, the high school band he was in was called Nothing Sacred. Yeah. Is that his villain, or, villain origin story? Like, no one liked his, his kind of uh, post-punk band, and now he... <laughs> He does this. They didn't buy the CDs because of the artwork. <laughs> well, he he tried to promote it online, but couldn't target the ads well enough. And now he That's he it. steals the prayers of the faithful in order to build a data <laughs> mining empire. So yes, as you might imagine, this article comes from uh, BuzzFeed News, and it focuses strictly on a website called Pray.com. Um, where people could go to do exactly about what you think, uh, you know, write, write prayers and find a, a community very helpful to apparently some people, particularly um, during the pandemic when people had a you know, hard time connecting. And that's, uh, you might think, well, that's a wonderful uh, service to offer and a human thing. But uh, people who live in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area look at that and say, there's a way to exploit that. <laughs> and lo, there is. Uh, It says here, Pray.com collects data that its users in multiple ways. According to the privacy policy, the company records detailed information about users, including their physical location, the links they click on, the text of the posts they make. Then it supplements that information with data from, quote, third parties, such as data analytics providers and data brokers. 
which can include your age, gender, religious affiliation, ethnicity, marital status, household size and income, political party affiliation, and interest, geographic location, and personal information. The policy also says wow. that Prayer.com, Prayer.com shares users' personal information, including identifiers that link their activities to specific devices with third, party, third parties for commercial purposes. Sweet, sweet prayer wow. data. <laughs> okay, now here's what I'm saying is I didn't even know this was an option uh, that you could just, like, totally exploit the people that you're supposedly trying to help. So, like, how do we get in on this? <laughs> well, Psalm 56 if i'm if i'm not incorrect says that the lord records our prayers on a scroll and keeps our tears in a bottle but now you can sell the scroll and right. the bottle yeah you can also sell shares in those tears you can't buy the whole tier but you can <laughs> buy kind of a derivative packaging uh, that's like a backed tranche. by the tears of the penitent well it's important to ask and i'm i'm just curious from a legal standpoint do you have to sign the Lord's terms of service before you pray so that he can record your tears? Like, has anyone reviewed the Lord's fine print? When you start praying, there's a voice that answers back that says, this call may be recorded. <laughs> <laughs> We've been trying to reach you about your car's warranty. We think you might need it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what does the Almighty know that I don't? Yeah, so that's um that's dystopian and nightmarish, certainly. Um <laughs> there's only so much comedy to be mined out of such a thing. But uh it makes one yearn for maybe a simpler time, maybe a throwback. We talked about nostalgia in the last emergency with that nineties youth group. And that brings us to the uh the mind and the the heart of our own Jed Brewer, who has in his own way looked to music and come up with what he thinks might be a healing idea. And Jed, why don't you share that with us? Well, this is a naked cash grab. I want to start there. That heals me. Yeah. <laughs> so, look, you know, you've got your hip-hop, and then you've got your Christian hip-hop. You've got your heavy metal, and you've got your Christian heavy metal. Now, to be clear, there are some, like, amazing Christian hip-hop artists, or some amazing Christian metal artists, but then there are others that are, you know... Maybe a little less so. And so I think that we can, it's a new trend. It's a whole new thing. People do, they, they want things that are classy nowadays. Mm. They, they want things mm. that harken back to you know, a simpler time, a more genteel time. I'm talking about the newest, hottest CCM trend, Christian crooning. What? Christian <laughs> crooning. Crooners for Christ. I'm talking really? about old blue eyes, but he's singing for the Lord. This is what I'm talking about. So you're saying that if it was like a campus acapella, uh, college acapella group, they would be campus crooners for Christ. Yeah. <laughs> this is exactly what I'm saying. Bing Crosby? Yes. Yes. Mm. And let me put it out there. I think I already have the number one breakthrough single in the Christian crooning world. I did it thy way. Oh, wow. Wow. By Frank Sin Not. Oh, oh yes! wow. There you go. For the win. It writes itself. Yeah. 
<laughs> While we're kind of focus grouping this and workshopping it, I want to float a couple other potential songs, you know, past the brain trust here. So I feel like I did it thy way. I feel like that's a slam dunk. That's that's what's <laughs> going to get us into the marketplace. Yeah. Next up, The Way You Pray Tonight. Oh, I think yeah. that that's oh. really got potential. <laughs> I think that's I think that's good. But now, you know, let's let's get a little bit, you know, uh, more introspective with when you're praising the whole world praises with you. Wow. Okay. That's that's a song about having a witness. That's what that is a song about. All right. But then we, you know, we we want to be respectful. So love and marriage are sacraments. That's really the main thrust of that yeah. song. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know, you know, I, I feel like um I feel like there's more here. I feel like Christian crooning, I, I feel like there's there's it's got it's got legs, it's got, you know, what we need to really go all the way to the moon. See what I did there. And wow. so what I want to know is how do we fully exploit this? How do we get all the sweet, sweet cash out of Christian crooning? Well, while we're thinking of that, that makes me think of the the Christian crooner version of love and marriage are sacraments being used for the pure flicks version of married with children, which <laughs> has no jokes in it. And it's just them sitting around saying vaguely polite things for 22 minutes. It's fantastic. <laughs> Michael boob pray. Oh, that's good. That's, that's good. That's good. Got to pronounce that very carefully. Yeah. I, I try really try to very stick the landing carefully. on that one. <laughs> there was a high and degree of difficulty. The... Yeah. Yeah. Very appropriate for the Winter Olympics. Exactly right. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we got to take this whole thing to Branson, Missouri, because I I think that's the right town for this whole <laughs> scenario. There yeah. can be no doubt that Branson is the go-to city for Christian crooning. If you if you want to bring together three-piece wool suits in the middle of summer, nineteen uh, fifties music, and CCM. Where else would you go? Let me let me put it that way. I, I think we may need to start buying up property in Branson for right. our inevitable Christian crooning empire. Yeah, because it's you know all that era of music really harkens back to a time, you know, more innocent time. Uh, yeah. You know, a nicer time when things were just way better for almost everyone. Mm. And oh. and mm. I mean almost all white people. We, you want to remember those times. Yeah, as someone who's been to Brains, Missouri uh, several times, this this if this Ouch. doesn't already exist there, I will be shocked. And if it yeah. doesn't, you may be able to uh, buy some stage time at the Yakov Smirnoff Theater, a real thing that exists, and 80s comedian with only one Russia bit, Yakov Smirnoff, does own his own theater and thriving entertainment space in Branson, Missouri. For wow. real? Yes. Another real thing happening in Branson is uh you may know you may remember televangelist Jim Baker from the 80s. Oh. Wow. He's got a new uh television situation and a big part of it is funded by selling um uh big old tubs of food you can put in your bunker. Oh. Again, man. a real oh, yeah. thing. Yeah, I've heard of this. And his uh, his little wooded compound is outside of Branson in uh, southeast Missouri. Because, uh, yeah, Missouri, for those of you who don't live in the United States or don't live in the uh, the appropriate region, you may think, oh, Midwest. St. Louis is in the Midwest. Missouri's in the south. 
Yeah. Yeah. None more than Branson. But that is where we can launch this uh, this CCM Christian crooning music empire. Remember a simpler time for you. More complicated <laughs> time for other people for some reasons, but simpler for you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do I do like the fact that, you know, most of that music was produced by trios. And so, sure. you know, the whole thing just falls perfectly in line with the Trinity. You know, Dude. it's just inherently mm. holy as a band. Yes. Well, if you're especially if your drummer's using kind of the uh the really old school kind of uh uh, you know the the kit that's just basically one bass drum, one snare, and one uh, cymbal. That's that's your your rhythm section is a trinity. Yeah, we're not going to go with that ostentatious, you know, all, all these tom toms everywhere. I feel like the more that we dig into this, it's more it's like it's destined. It's just it's crooner time. That's that's what I'm hearing right now. Nat King Soul. Yeah. Yes. Oh yes. Yes. I'm I'm trying to think of more. Uh, but I, I feel like I'm I'm in vapor lock now. It's just yeah. the, the potential is overwhelming. <laughs> it's not a perfect one to one, but uh, instead of the Rat Pack, the Dove Pack is that oh, something? That's pretty good. Oh, that's pretty that's good. Nice. Yeah. What would the Dean Martin character like? Clearly, he can't come out sauce to the gills. Is he like the charismatic of the bunch? <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. Slain yeah. Yeah. spirit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. He's, he's Benny Henning. It. That's uh, that's what he's doing. Yeah, I think we can just take some uh, some old. Uh, Rat Pack scripts, delete all the uh, racially based humor, and then when we have that two minutes of material to build from, we'll, uh, we'll really have something to jump onto, I think. <laughs> and being that I think our Christian crooning music audience in uh, the Yakov Smirnoff uh, Theater Annex in Branson, Missouri, may not be the most technical crowd. Maybe we can just have them write down all their personal information on like a three by five card. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then we can sell that to Mark Zuckerberg somehow. Sure. And that's what you call business plan. And that's what you call emergency off. Amen. Well done. Absolutely. All right. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang on this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into your episode description, click the links you find there. First question comes in and says, what's the difference between remorse and guilt? I know I'm not supposed to navigate by guilt, but I think feeling remorse is necessary, right? And another great question, and really getting into, I think, an interesting uh, differentiation there. And Jed, where would we start off? Well, this is a great question, and let's start almost with some definitions. So one of the things that makes guilt a little bit difficult to know exactly how to think about is that guilt is a feeling, but also a status but also a spiritual reality, potentially, um, kind of all at the same time. And and how we think of guilt has a lot to do with which one of those we're referring to, uh, because they're, they're all a little bit different. The, the feeling of guilt and the status of guilt and kind of the the spiritual reality of guilt, these, these are three different things, and it's easy to kind of blend them together. So Let's actually talk a bit about remorse because I think that it's going to be a lot easier to to parse that because remorse remorse is a feeling. And one of the nice things about feelings is feelings are not good or bad. Feelings are not morally right or morally wrong. They're just feelings. 
We can do good or bad things with feelings. Uh, they, feelings can drive us to make morally good or morally bad decisions, but, but the feelings themselves are amoral. They, they don't have a right or wrong component. And so uh, we want to start there. Remorse is a feeling. As such, it's neither good nor bad. And in plenty of situations, it's a perfectly natural emotional response to what is going on. Uh, something occurs, you wish it had not occurred. You feel like your actions or decisions or inactions have at least in part led to this outcome that you don't like, and you feel a sense of regret or remorse over your part in what has transpired. We don't have to judge that one way or another. That's it's feelings and it, it tracks. We can make sense. That's, that's a natural thing. But now, to move forward, we need to then ask, do we need the feeling of remorse in order to do better in the future? Like, do we have to have this often negative and often unpleasant feeling as a part of getting better at things? And there, I would encourage you to say probably not. I mean, the interesting thing is that even as remorse is neither good nor bad and it is probably a pretty reasonable response to plenty of situations i don't know that we have like a responsibility to gin up the feeling of remorse within ourselves in order to have different outcomes in the future and let me give you kind of a silly example but it it illustrates the point a little bit so i like to cook and uh, i'm not setting the world on fire but i'm not bad And one of the things that I learned a while back is that most pasta, it's going to be a lot better if you really heavily salt the water that you're going to boil it in. It's going to come out better. It's going to taste better. You're going to like it better. So I didn't know. And then I learned something new. And now I do know. So I salt my pasta water now. I don't feel remorse or regret about the failure pastas before. Like, I don't I don't have any emotions at all about those terrible, terrible, unsalted pastas that I suffered through and inflicted on others because it's way to go, Jed. Yeah. Unsalted jerk water. That's what we're talking about. I don't like I don't have those feelings because it's it's fine. You learn, you grow. That's that's a normal part of life. I didn't know. Then I learned. Now I do it differently. And so. I think that one of the uh, the best summaries of this comes from the absolutely amazing poet Maya Angelou, and she says, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Mm. Sometimes in that process, remorse or regret is going to be a, a natural emotional part of, of that journey, but not always. And again... There's not a requirement for it to be there. I think the key thing is just looking at are we are we learning from what did and didn't work in given situations so that we know how to do better in the future? Are we figuring out how to add uh, salt to that pasta water? If we're doing that, we're doing really good. And not only do we not need to feel a sense of remorse necessarily, we probably have a lot to feel proud of because improvement is as good as any of us can ever hope for. Absolutely right. That's a great place to start off. And also, failure pasta does sound like something you can order at Olive Garden. (laughs) (laughs) It's a hack joke, but I had to get that out. A lot of great stuff there. And Lee, where do we take it from there? I love where Jed took us on that. And and breaking down kind of the definition of guilt and remorse, those are really, really important pieces of this. 
some folks might be kind of like if you were kind of raised in church, uh, if you've been around a lot of Bible stuff before, there may be a verse that that gets kind of pinged in the back of your head of like, what's that verse that talks about something like remorse? And there is a verse, uh, an odd little verse in the book of Second Corinthians uh, in chapter seven that I want to talk about for a second. That's important in this conversation because it says that uh, Paul says um, in our translation, he says, godly sorrow can lead you to repentance. There is a sorrow, he says, that can actually lead you to repentance. That's a different thing than guilt. And I'm so glad that Jed pointed out the difference between remorse and guilt. Remorse is not the exact same thing as as sorrow. And actually, when you translate what Paul was saying there, it's one of those moments where our translators are, sometimes translators are afraid to just let the scripture speak. And so they'll try to couch it and make it a little softer or whatever. He actually doesn't use the word godly in that in that verse in the original language. There, he doesn't say godly sorrow. He doesn't actually even say sorrow. The word that he uses is a word that's always otherwise translated as grief. Mm. Um, there is a grief that can lead you to change your mind. The word I need to do some defining as well. The word repentance is a lot of times in church people have been told repentance is when you did something bad and you need to feel bad about it and then and then change. Um and you know do something different, you know, turn around and and act in a different way, change your behavior. Actually the word repentance means to change your mind, change the way you think about something. And Paul's saying there is a grief that can do a productive work of allowing you to change your mind. That's different than that's different than guilt. Guilt is a feeling of I did a bad thing and like Jed said it's also a status uh, it can be a spiritual status and a legal status. I did a bad thing, and I feel bad off of that. I feel bad about myself, and and I'm and therefore I'm not a good person off of that. That is not a motivating emotion or feeling. That's that is that always leads us just to kind of inaction. And what Paul is saying in Second Corinthians chapter chapter seven is there is a grief that could lead you to change your mind about some things. Grief is an interesting feeling because grief is not like guilt. Guilt is, I did a bad thing, therefore I'm in trouble and I'm bad. Um, That's the way guilt feels. It is a status. It is a legal status or a spiritual status, but it has a feeling attached to it, which is, I'm in trouble. Grief is, something has been lost, and that affects me. It changes me. That's a different thing. Um, Like, I, there's, there's something that like, let let me take this into a a relational sense. If I do something or say something to hurt my wife, to hurt her feelings, there is, there's a moment that's been lost. I did not do that moment well, that conversation well, or whatever. That's an opportunity for me to learn. It would be really callous of me not to have any feeling about that whatsoever. A grief fits there. Oh man, we had a moment together and I kind of blew that. I'm it's not that I'm in trouble and I'm a bad person. It's that a moment has been lost and I need to change my mind about the way that I talk, about the way that I handle our conversation and our relationship. That's the kind of thing that offers offers me the opportunity to grow. There can be 
a grief over a lost moment that pushes me towards learning, that pushes me towards there's something I can learn here. And there's something that I can change. There's something that I can change my mind about. And that can be a helpful thing. Remorse, uh, the, the etymologically, that it's a word that, like, it, it comes from the word to bite again, uh, to bite all over again. It's like, I think about something and it bites me again. That, that is the kind of thing that makes me feel like it's a feeling that's not about learning. It's like, I always feel bad about it. Over and over again, however, I, how, however many times I think about it, I am bitten again by that moment. Grief is a moment was lost, something was lost, and I have something to learn, and I can grow from that. And that gives me the opportunity to change, to change my mind, to change the way I think about a thing, and to grow into a new and better moment. And that can be a helpful, healthy, and productive thing. Absolutely right. And Glenn, where do we close this out? Well, I love exactly where Lee was taking it because I think he's right. You know, that this idea of, of mourning our losses makes a lot of sense. You you attempted to do uh, good and right or did you attempted to do the best that you could and you fell short and there's a defeat to that. And uh, it makes sense to mourn your defeats. You you. You don't want to uh, live the kind of life where you make excuses for your defeats. You don't want to live the kind of yeah. life where you look at a failure and say, well, was it really a failure? Really? Mm, you know, let's look at the bright side. It, there's a lot of bad stuff that goes down that road. It's grabbing some acceptance of I have fallen short of my own standards. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I've, Falling short of the kind of person that I want to be in this relationship and to say, I don't like it. It's not okay with me. I want to figure out how to do better. All of that is, is a positive thing. And, uh, that we don't want to take that out of the situation. Uh, but as these other fellows are pointing out, um, emotions don't solve problems. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's, it's it, it it that doesn't feel right. It it feels like uh, I'm having lots of feelings, and I'm really focused on all those feelings, and I feel bad about those feelings. So that's probably making this better, you know, that because of all the hard feelings I have about the situation. But really, they that's not solving problems, not giving you insight, and so on and so forth. Uh, but emotions also have that uh, that way of draining energy out of your life. Mm -hmm. They have that way of making you exhausted, and they have that way of being a distraction to where you're not able to focus on, you know, hey, this is what I need to be doing. So it's it, it's right and appropriate to have some feelings, but to recognize that those feelings aren't really in and of themselves solving anything they they may be long-term more of a drain uh, but it's also important to recognize that if you leave these feelings unchecked and you get to a point where you're wallowing in that uh and you're 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 going round and round in that uh and you're tired from that emotional mm. process now all of a sudden we're in a position where we're not at our best 
where we're emotionally frayed and we're tired. And now we're perfectly set up to do this same thing wrong all over again. <laughs> and now the cycle repeats. Yeah. So now all of a sudden the emotions we thought were helping and all the, you know, the, the, the remorse and so forth and the guilt that we were trying to deal with or whatever are really just driving a cycle that goes around again. But conviction comes from God and conviction is completely different. Uh, conviction, uh, as we say on the show, calls us to our higher selves. It's it's God saying, you are better than this. I've created you to be better than this. You're capable of better than this. There is a desire within you to do better than this. That's where all this uh, remorse and grieving is are coming from. So let's recognize that there is a, a desire uh, the the spirit is willing, but man, that flesh is weak, and you're an imperfect person. So we go to God, and we get that conviction. It gives us that determination to move forward, to improve, to do better. As Jed was talking about that idea, I'm going to learn how to do better, and then I'm going to I'm going to execute a, a better way of living, a better way of handling these situations. Doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're never going to make another mistake again, but it does mean that we want to grab a hold of that firm conviction, I need to improve because this is not okay with me. I'm forgiven and I'm loved, and because of that, I don't need to wallow in guilt, but I do uh, have that kind of thankfulness and gratitude that says, I can do better. Mm. An excellent place to take that. And we're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, how do I have boundaries in situations where someone has some kind of leverage over me? If you have to rely on someone for a place to live or a job, you can't just draw a boundary wherever you like. And a, a great question and a really great follow-up to something we talk about a lot. We've talked a lot about several different types and uh, situations where boundaries are great. and Boundaries are a good thing in all situations, but um, sometimes they are not so cut and dry, and there are uh, factors that affect them, and it's a very important point to make. And Lee, I'd love to get you to start us off here, because uh, you know a lot of your day job is working with young people, and I think that's a very uh, clear example of, you know, if you literally live uh, under someone else's roof, boundaries are a great idea, but there's that gets a little complicated, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is this is a really really uh, astute question. It's it's also a question where the details kind of matter here. And so maybe we can maybe one thing we can do is try to talk about a lot of different scenarios that this could that you know, we could apply some wisdom to knowing that there may be some specifics that actually um, that, that we actually need to know in order to give some really, really good specific advice. So if, if it's a deal where you could hit us up uh, a follow-up with some more details, that would be great. And, um, at the end of the show, I'm sure Matt will give you a, a, an email address where you can do that. But all that being said, a couple of things, let's talk real quick. And, and I've got a, a few points to make, and then I'll, I'll kick it around to these guys, but let's talk about uh, you know, real basics on boundaries. When you realize in a certain relationship that you need to set up a boundary, you cannot make it your goal to change that other person. That's not what boundaries do. 
We do not change somebody else. When you set up a boundary, you are declaring and establishing what you will or will not do. Okay, this is about your self. This is about how you will respond, how you will behave, what you will put up with, and what you won't. We're not going to assume that by us, you know, making a declaration or anything like that, that we're going to change somebody else's behavior. Um, This is about you declaring what you will or won't do. And one thing that I do want to say is you do have agency to express what you're experiencing and how you will or will not be treated. Um, And when when I say that you have agency, one of the things I mean is you can quit a job. If you're being treated in an unfair or unethical or messed up way at your job, you can quit that job and find another job. That's something that you can actually do. If that feels like an impossible situation where you are currently, please hit us up. Let's let's talk through some of those details. The other thing that I would say, and some of these other guys may be able to speak to this more than, than I can even, if we are talking about a situation with a boss, you may be in a situation in a lot of jobs where there is an HR department, a human resources department that you could appeal to if you are being treated unfairly or you're being treated unethically or you're being treated in some kind of hinky way that you have some question about, hey, the way that this person talks to me, is that okay based on the protocols of our company? There are questions that you can ask about stuff like that. Again, the details matter here, but you actually do have agency over over like, I don't have to stay in this job or I do get to express um, and make known what I'm experiencing from, from my point of view. If it's a living situation in which you are living under somebody else's roof and they're footing the bill for the, for the room and board or whatever, um, you may, there may be some things that you have to put up with or you have to experience. But what I would say is if that is your situation, let's begin right now. If you haven't already figuring out the exact details of what it would take for you to have your freedom, to, for you to get your own living space where you're making those calls, you're the shot caller over that, and you're not, you know, under somebody else's, you know, roof and rules um, that, you know, are oppressive or weird or whatever, whatever the thing is. Again, on this type of situation, the details matter, but you do have agency to express what you're experiencing, and you may have some very specific channels that you can talk to to find out if what you're experiencing even lines up with what your company or whatever are supposed to go for. And then if it's a living situation, let's start looking now at what the specifics would be for you to get your own space. A really great place to start that off, an excellent foundation there. And Glenn, where do we take things from there? Well, it, that was great, and I, I think it's, I think part of what Lee is laying out there is that there's a difference between a situation where you absolutely positively cannot lay down uh, some sort of hard line boundary because you know you're you're there's just no way around it. If you're a prison inmate, uh, if you're a a teenager living at home so on and so forth there there just comes a point where uh you know you you don't have that uh, leverage as you're talking about that's different from 
I don't want to go out and get a new job, so I'm just letting this boss run all over me. I don't want to pay rent, so I'm staying at home in a dysfunctional situation because it seems like a lot of money to get into, you know, an emotionally healthy scenario. And so, you know, I'm just kind of putting up with that. Uh, those those are very different kinds of situations. So there's a lot of times where it feels like there really isn't a room to lay down a boundary and there and you don't want someone calling your bluff on some of that. Uh, but so it's important to recognize for you, it needs to not be a bluff, that you need to be able to accept that some people may say, hey, if you don't like it, uh, you know, uh, kick rocks. So, um, so, so that's important to recognize. I think it's important to to say, based on all that, all healthy require, relationships require some boundaries. Uh, the, of course, the lone exception is our relationship with God, uh, because God is perfect. But for all other imperfect human beings, those those relationships, in order to be healthy, need to have boundaries. Uh, but as we're saying here, not all relationships can or will be healthy. Uh, and, you know, I think it's important for us as Christians to grab a hold of the truth of that, uh, that I have a choice between having, with some people, I have a choice between having a unhealthy relationship or basically no relationship. Uh, that's not a dis- that, that's not something I'm imposing on them. It's something they're imposing on me. But those are my choices. Uh, it, I can try and backburn that relationship, kind of keep it shallow, and you know, wait for somebody to get over their struggles or what have you. But there's some people that just are going to insist on their dysfunctionality, and they're going to insist on putting it on you, and they're going to insist that you participate with them in that. Uh, so. It's it's your decision. It's your life. As as Lee is saying, you have the agency to say, I just don't want to play these games, and I don't want my life to look like this. Therefore, um, I'm I'm choosing to have a healthier situation, which means I'm not going to be with you on this stuff. Uh, but I do like what you're saying about leverage. I think that's worth exploring more because. I think there is something to the idea of reducing the amount of leverage that anyone has over you wherever you can in your life. I think that's it's a good and healthy thing. Um, it, it's a good thing to think in terms of uh, trying to be as much as you can an, an equal partner in, in your friendships and relationships relationships with other people. That That is to say you give as, as well as you get uh, on things and that you're uh, participating in in a way where you're not just in a dependency kind of relationship with people. That's good stuff. Um, and that's part of growing up. That's part of organizing your life. But it's also part of living a godly life, this idea of I'm not going to give other people that kind of leverage over me. Uh, it, again, there are extreme situations where that's not possible, but to the extent we can be in control, we're not going to give people that leverage because we want God to have the leverage in our life. We we want God to be the one that calls those shots and directs our life. And I think that's the real goal for you is, am I living the kind of life that God wants me to live, or am I just suffering for no good reason because I don't want to make some some hard changes in my life? 
an excellent place to take that as well. And Jed, where do we close this out? Well, you've heard plenty of really, really good stuff already. So I just want to add two things for you to think about. So when you're in a really tough situation, you know, a, a really bad living situation, really bad work situation, um, there may well come a time where you're going to have to walk away from this. Um, you know, whether that's moving out, that could be, you know, you, you may need to, to crash with a friend for a while. You may need to, you know, do whatever it is. But I think one of the things that's really important for you to be thinking about and specifically to be talking to other people about is what is the threshold where it is time to go? Because mm. the interesting thing about bullies, and that's what you're describing, is bullies have a sixth sense for how hard they can push. Yeah. Like they've just they've honed it and they just they they just have a really sharp sense of what they can get away with. And so there's also a frog in a kettle uh, dynamic that goes on in a lot of these situations where they they get worse and worse and worse, but they do it again. This is kind of bullies having a sixth sense. They get worse at exactly the rate where you acclimatize to them. So you don't really notice how much worse it's gotten. And yeah. so having some people in your life that you trust who are qualified to speak in your life, who are aware of what you're dealing with, who can say, hey, dude, this is way past the point of acceptable. Um, you know, uh, we last talked about this, you know, three weeks ago, but it is like if it were me, it would be time to go. I, I think thinking about what the threshold for it's time to go and again, having people who can help reflect back to you the reality of your situation is super super important i really want to encourage you on that and, and jed i'm sorry to interrupt but not it, at all it would be it would be really good in exactly in the line that you're taking to have some pretty specific <laughs> behaviors or phrases or conversations yep. where it's clear that that line has been tripped uh, no question no question so let's let's look at some examples while we're batting this around a person who threatens you really in Anyway, um, that it, it, it's time to go. Um, this is don't pass go. Do not collect $200. It is it is time to go. Um, a person who is abusive to you in their language. Um, it is time to go. Certainly a person who is abusive to you in terms of uh, any form of physicality. Um, that is, that is time to go. In fact, um, one for sure, we, we have tripped the trigger to use Lee's phrase is Anything that is clearly crossing the boundaries into abusive um, is way past that threshold, and our timeline needs to change. We're, we're going from let's find a better situation to get into to let's find a temporary situation that is not abusive that we can get into yeah. so yeah. that we can find another situation after that. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is I'm going to tell you something that may not sound right, but it's been super true in my life. And I want you to think about it because it has a lot to do with your situation. I think that oftentimes in life, there are a lot more resources available to you than you would expect. But you have to ask for them and you have to look for them. I want to say that again because I want you to think about it. In most situations, there are a lot more resources available than you might expect. But you have to look for them and you have to ask for them. So that kind of starts with needing friends and or counselors that can kind of help to keep you honest on how bad the situation's gotten. You're going to have to ask people to do that. You're going to have to hunt those people down and, and say, I need to talk about my situation and I need your help. You may need to crash on somebody's couch. You will have to ask for that. 
Um, you may need some help working on your resume. You, you will probably have to ask for that. You may need some help with groceries. You will probably have to ask for that. The interesting thing is that there's probably resources, whether through friends, whether through families, social services, churches in your area, there's probably resources available for a lot of the needs that you may face, but you're going to have to hunt them down and you're going to have to ask for them. And so I want to encourage you in your prayer life to ask God to provide for you, but to also give you the courage to be involved in that provision. Courage in many ways is the thing we need most here. Um, Change is scary, man. And particularly when people are already being awful, change is double scary. There's a way out of this, and it's a positive way and a good way, but there's almost certainly a role for you to play in that, and an active, very driven, participatory role. And so even as we're asking God to provide, and I do want you to ask God for that, I want you to ask God to give you courage to be a part of that process, to ask others for the help that you need, to be vulnerable where you need to be vulnerable, to um, be tough where you need to be tough. Uh, you are, I guarantee you, you are stronger than you think you are. And if you will go to the Lord one minute at a time and get that courage and ask for the help that you need, man, trust me when I tell you there's more help available than you would think. And if you're having a hard time, find it, email me personally, because I will eat those words. So if it doesn't, if you're like, man, I've looked and I've asked and there's just nothing, email me. We will figure it out together. In the meantime, ask God for that courage and start asking for the help you need. That's right. He will eat those words with a nice side of failure pasta. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Unlimited failure and regret. Now on Tab at Olive Garden. Well, it's always been on Tab at Olive Garden, but now we're being upfront about it. Uh, (laughs) All great stuff from all of these guys. Um, One one small thing I would tack on the end here. There are certainly situations, the kind of which these guys outlined, where you can't draw a hard boundary and maybe that's for a certain amount of time. Maybe that's for a longer amount of time. Um, you know, examples of people that, uh, are at the bridge. Um, you know, that could be people who have been in prison or people who are at a drug recovery center, a court mandated situation. I mean, you gotta, you kind of gotta deal with what they, they give you there. And also, you know, if you're a young person, you're still at home, you're thinking about leaving a job, but you haven't found another one lined up and you really need this paycheck. These are all examples of something that's going to keep you, in a place for a certain amount of time. And you may not be able to draw that boundary with that, uh, you know, that s- staff member or parent or employer that stops what they say to you in the way that we would hope to do with a boundary in a situation where leverage was not involved. So in that case, I think what is very good to focus on is focusing internally on how far you let their words get into your brain mm. and your heart. And that's going to be very, very important. It can be a tough thing to do, but if you can't stop the words from coming out of their face, then we do have to focus on some defense there and focusing on not letting uh, the the words or the things they, they do or say uh, affect your sense of yourself or your sense of how you deserve to be treated. And that is a boundary as well. There are internal boundaries as well as external ones. And sometimes we are in situations where we need to focus on those. We're going to jump to our final question here. It comes in and says, Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That seems like an impossible thing to do. How do I do something 
with all of that stuff? And another great question. And Glenn, where do we start this off? Well, you know, it is impossible. That's you're you're absolutely right. Uh, it is impossible to do that to the fullest extent, uh, and it's impossible to do that in a perfect way. Um, the Christian life is about uh, pursuing things that uh, and pursuing ideals that are absolutely not going to happen on this side of the grave. We we aim for those things, uh, we shoot for them, we do everything we can to improve and get closer and closer to these ideals we have, and we do that by looking at the real world and saying, okay, what's the difference between what's really going on and the ideals that I'm trying to live up to? And that's how we grow, and that's what Christianity is about. But it, it is about grabbing a little bit of acceptance for right now that you're not going to be able to do a perfect job of that like later this week. Um, so let's let's say let's then talk about okay then how do we get started with that? How do we move closer if that's how we're going to do this? That starts with honesty. You hear us say that a bit on this show, but I, it really starts with recognizing that uh, your relationship with God has a lot of emotional realities that aren't coming into play here. Uh, that uh, uh, God fails to meet your expectations on a pretty regular basis. Your expectations may be pretty sucky, but he's still failing to meet them. You still have feelings about that. You can repress them all you want, but they're still down there. And so recognizing that you have to express that to the Lord and say, well, you, you want me to be all perfect, but meanwhile, you're not perfectly meeting my expectations. So that seems kind of unfair. I know my expectations are probably all the wrong stuff, but that's, you know, it's, it's what I think is the way the world should be. And, uh, you know, and also all this stuff you're talking about here is super, super hard and kind of impossible. So, uh, you know, it, you know, maybe give me a break and maybe explain to me how the heck am I supposed to to do this? That's a great place to start. That's a wonderful prayer uh, for you to begin with. But if you see what I'm pointing out, the first thing that you're giving up by being honest is being the perfect little Christian, mm-hmm. and that's that's the that's the path. That's how you get there. Um, uh, a lot of people want to try and grow in their in their. Christian walk by having a lot of religious practice. You know, you go to the church, you do the thing, you wear the clothes, you sing the songs. It's just the religiosity. And if I stew in that environment, I'm bound to be a better Christian. Doesn't work that way, but, you know, people try it. Um, uh, People also try sort of a scholarly devotion. Let me just read a bunch of stuff about all this, and then I'll have a really healthy relationship with God. It's, you know, you, you can... You can uh, have a wife or husband and read their diary every day, and there's that, but you're not going to get close to them to have a conversation and really interact. So that doesn't work. Um, And I think a lot of people try to not need God. Like, that's what their goal is, is to be so self-sustaining that they don't have to go to God for anything. And that doesn't work either. You're, You're going to you know, need God in order to do the things that God's asking you to do. Uh, But all of that involves recognizing it's not about 
being an A-plus Christian. It's not about getting all the right answers on the test. It's not about ticking all the boxes and say, saying to yourself, see, I'm a really, really good Christian. Um, it's about recognizing that the, the, the Christian life is, is following Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Jesus went up to people all the time. It's like, I think I counted like 30-something times in, in the New Testament, Jesus says, follow me. He doesn't say, clean up your act. He doesn't say, read this book. He doesn't say, put on your, your good uh, you know, outfit and go to the synagogue. He says, follow me. So I think um, recognizing that if you follow where he leads in a personal, connected relationship with God, that's going to create a bond, and that's going to create the kind of love uh, for other people that you're trying to live up to here. Mm. It's a great place to start us off. And Jed, where would we pick that up? So let me read your question here again. It seems like an impossible thing to do. How do I do something with all of that stuff? Totally agree with Glenn. It is definitely an impossible thing to do. But I, I actually love your second question of how do I do something with all of that stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, to go along with all the great stuff that Glenn laid out for you, I want to encourage you to look for one element of living out a love for God that makes sense to you, that you just, it, it works in your brain, you can wrap your arms around it, you get it. That could be showing hospitality to the newcomer or the outsider. That could be working for justice for the poor. That could be providing comfort to the afflicted. And there's like a million different ways to do those three things. But start there. Find something that that makes sense to you. Find something like, you know, yeah, I, I get that. I, I, I feel that. Start there. Start doing that. Um, I would very much agree with Glenn that Christianity is a relational thing and that it is something where you don't learn about it and then do it. You do it and you learn and you grow as you are doing it. And let's use the example of providing comfort to the afflicted. If you're like, I can, I can get that. Like I get how that would like be connected with me showing love for God. We can't exactly write out for you in advance, all the things that you will learn by providing comfort for the afflicted and just tell them to you, you have to go provide comfort for the afflicted and you will learn them experientially as you do that. And you will, I am strongly guessing you will draw closer in your relationship with the Lord as you're doing that. And like, again, after the fact, you could distill like what a lot of the key takeaways were and you could tell someone else, but like they'd have to do it for themselves though. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the, the really kind of wild things about being a Christian is that it, we can tell you all about it, but, but you have to live it out for it to, to really come alive to you. And so again, pick something that makes sense to you. Um, you know, uh, if you, if you're, you know, if you want more fodder for that, read kind of towards the end of Matthew chapter 25, because it's all about things that Jesus takes really personally. Uh, and just pick one, uh, visiting people who are sick, visiting people who are in prison, feeding people who are hungry, clothing people who are naked, and see what of that resonates with you. And to be clear, you can't do all those things at once. Mm-hmm. And there's like an unlimited number of ways to approach all those things. I, you know, 
We're all blessed to know people who do an amazing amount of work, for example, to help people who are economically disadvantaged. But like there's an infinite number of ways to help people who are economically disadvantaged. So you, you can find one that makes sense to you, that's exciting to you, that feels energizing to you, that you you get. But get an emotion on that, man. And and let it be an adventure. Mm. Like, I think look for that sense of of passion. Look for that sense of of vitality. We don't need more drudgery in our lives. I think that one of the weird things about American Christianity is there's a lot of, you know, it's good when it's sapping your will to live when you're, you know, like 6 a.m. devotions are good, but 4 a.m. devotions are really good because like you're so tired, you're almost in tears and that's how you know it's really spiritual. Go go in the opposite direction, man. F- find the things that make you feel energized. Find the things that are not drudgery. Find the things that that bring you to life. And I think the the more that you go in those directions, I think you will find the answers that you're looking for to what it means in your life to begin to love the Lord your God with all that you have been given. Excellent. Another excellent place to take that. And Lee, where do we close this one out? You've already heard great stuff. I'm going to throw one more little piece in this, and I agree with everything that you've heard so far on this. The the last thing that I would say is this comes from my personal experience. Um, as a kid that grew up in church, I was around a lot of church stuff, and I bet my my uh, fellow co-hosts, especially the ones who grew up in church, would very, very, very much identify with this as well. Um, church people, whether or not it's cognizant, whether or not they mean to, tend to make a draw a, a a really hard line between the Jesus stuff and the me stuff. Like Sunday morning church, we get dressed up for that because that's the Jesus thing. We're going to the Jesus place to do the Jesus thing now. Um, and so we probably, we dress up for that. We get on our best behavior about that. We, we maybe even give some money there. The rest of the week, well, that's that's me stuff or that's family stuff or whatever. I dress differently. I talk differently. I spend my money differently. I act differently. The thing that I would say is exactly as these guys are saying, you can't do this impossible thing. Um, it's not it's not possible to give every single uh, you know a bit of energy and and will and everything that you've got to the Lord. I would say, um. Lean into the idea that there is no distinction between the Jesus stuff and the me stuff. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus is involved in every bit of your life. Recognize that and involve him in it. Um, Engage with him in everything that you're going through, in all the things that you feel, in all the things that you experience, and all the questions that you have and the the decisions that you have to make. And here's a radical one, which I this would have made my little church kid head spin. That is, even in the moments where you are tempted to do a thing that you know Jesus doesn't want for you, and you go ahead and decide to do the wrong thing, go ahead and get used to the idea. He's in that moment too. He gets it. He understands your motivation and why in you, inside your brain that makes sense. Remove all of the guilt and shame because what happens is, is that once we decide to do the wrong thing, we completely ignore him. And if I were 
If I were preaching this right now, I would circle back, make that a point again, and ask everybody in the room to go ahead and amen that so that I don't feel like I'm alone on an island and make everybody recognize, hey, we all do that. When you decide to do the wrong thing, you ignore Jesus. You know you do. And you make a hard line between the Jesus moments and the me moments. I would say erase that line and recognize all of my life has Jesus in it. I can engage him on all of the pieces of my life. The moments where I'm on my best behavior, the moments where I'm on my worst behavior, the moments where I have a great attitude, the moments where I have a terrible attitude. He loves me completely in all of those moments, and he wants me to involve him in all of those moments. I'm going to lean into letting him call some more shots this week, but even in the moments where I don't let him call shots, I'm still going to keep the line open. I'm still going to keep... I'm still going to stay on that phone call. Just imagine it like a phone call that you just stay on all week long. And let that be a mental shift that you make. There are not Jesus moments and me moments. We are in this thing together in all of the moments. I'm going to lean into some of that a little bit more this week. I'm just going to engage that mentally a little bit more this week. I'm going to let all of his love and acceptance and grace for me I'm going to let all of his choice of me, all of that stuff, I'm going to let all of that stuff be completely true on my best behavior, on my worst behavior, all of it. And I'm just going to lean into the complete and total full relationship that we're in. And I think that as you change that mindset, that you're going to make a little bit more move towards loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that is because we're going to, we're going to have less distinction between the idea of like, you know, uh, you know, this is a church moment, so now I'm churchy. And this is not a church moment, so now I'm me. We're just going to have it all be this relationship. And that's going to be a shift that I think is going to help this verse to make a little more ex- sense in your experience. All great stuff from, from these guys. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com or thebridgechicago.tumble.com slash ask. We want to keep that entirely anonymous. We're going to take out the song this week. This is a Pool House Guru track based on the yeah. very verse you're referencing that final question, Matthew 22, 37, featuring the rapping and singing talents of some very talented bridge friends. Hey, that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, when you email us about your struggles in life, we promise not to sell your email address to Facebook because we're not sociopaths, also because of the Day of Judgment. <laughs> <laughs> What's on your mind?